Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Well, welcome back to our third Sunday where we're looking at human identity. It was getting awfully cold out there, so we thought we'd do something to get people fired up. Through the first two passages, uh, the first two messages, uh, we laid the foundations. We tried to establish what we need to know, some basic essential truths about what it means to be a human being. And there were two of them we highlighted. First, humans are created in the image of God. That is like basic. We need to hold on to that, that it's God who gives us our identity by making us in his image. We look at God to know ourselves. To be human is to image God. The second one is that humans reflect God's relational character across four essential relationships. Our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, our relationship with the rest of God's creation, and even our relationship within ourselves. To be a human being is to be relational like God is. And I know, I've heard it. I've been pouring on the theological syrup pretty thick making this big stack of glorious pancakes that are wholesomely human and I hope biblically solid enough that they kind of sit down deep, you know, walk around with you for a while. Because we need these basic goods for us to go forward. And today we're going to flesh this out quite literally because we're going to explore how being human is to be embodied. That our bodies are essential to our humanity. And the ramifications of that truth are incredibly far-reaching in so many different ways. And that's, that's part of the goal of this series, and particularly if you're a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Christ, to have this deep foundation that's biblically rooted that then you're able to work from and, and, and work it out in all these different areas of life. And if you're exploring faith and you're new to faith, uh, or you're just even wondering about it, it gives you good indicators of how uh, the Christian uh, worldview works, how the biblical framework goes. It also helps us respond to some of the current ideologies that are savaging human identity. So as you begin, would you pray with me? Holy Spirit of God, we ask that you would come now and fill us so that we are receptive to receive all that you have for us. I pray that you give me clarity As I speak, help us to hear well as people. And I want to pray particularly today for those of us who are feeling vulnerable or afraid, that we would hear the good news today, that we are loved. Be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So how do we understand the human body? When we say, as we've said the last few weeks, that we image God in all of our relationality, let's be honest, I know some of you already thought it, it can seem a little ethereal, right? A little nebulous, a little out there. So what does it mean with our two feet on the ground? How does this body that I have 
relate to the image of God that I am. That's what we're exploring. Or maybe, to put a fine point on it, we're asking, is the human body essential to being a human being? Is it essential to that? Or is the human body kind of an optional thing? Is the body a temporary construct that we can dispose of now or later? Or is it meant to be us forever? Does every body matter? I want us to start by sketching out some options today. I'm going to walk right off screen. Out comes the flip chart. And, and I want you to help me think through, you just got to shout out some things. I want you to help uh, us think through what are the implications of thinking about the human body as something good or conversely, thinking of the human body as something bad or at least irrelevant, okay? So we've got good and bad. And uh, I'm going to just add under that irrelevant, okay? Uh, you know what I mean. So let's start here. What are the implications of us thinking of the body as something good? What are some of the ways that flows out? Some of the effects that has on us? Just shout it out. We take care of it. Go ahead, keep, keep it coming. Okay, hygiene. Uh-oh, did I spell hygiene right? There we go. All right, eating, eating well, exercise, okay, he's like, oh, now now I can't spend exercise right, oh, I forgot the R, a a feeling of well-being, yeah, good, sleep, anyone? Okay, so accepting it as something God-given. Yeah, acceptance. Yeah. Say it again. Yeah, it heals itself. Good. What else? What else do you want to add? A couple more, room for a couple more things? All right. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, that's a quote from Psalm 139, a beautiful quote that talks about how I'm just going to stop it right there. But that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, right? From the very moments we were being knitted together in our mother's womb. Beautiful. One more thing. Able to serve. All right. So there's lots more we could say, but those are some of the implications of understanding, believing the body's good. Now, what might be some of the ramifications or the flow out when we think the body's bad or at least irrelevant? Breaks down. Okay. Whoops. Um, mistreat. What else? It ages. It ages? What do you mean? Keep going. Limitations. Whoops. Again, think about how we are going to act in relation to the body if we think it's bad or irrelevant. Pardon? Temptations. Okay. We might give in to those. Um, what else? Somebody else said something? Pain? No boundaries? No boundaries? As in 
Oh, as in everything's permissible. Yeah. We might go a little wild. Um, yeah, I'll just leave it at yeah. no boundaries bit. Yeah. Attitudes. attitudes in what way? <laughs> okay. Attitudes bad. There we go. Shame. Okay, we'll leave it there. There's, there's more, you know, we could do. Let's just set that back for a moment. We'll, we'll come back to the, um, come back to the, the flip chart in, in due time. But if we're created in the image of God who reflect his relationality in our relationships, the question is, how are our bodies connected to that? Because this is not just a theoretical exercise. This has real ramifications. Just think with me for a moment. How does our understanding of the human body affect how we might respond and care for a friend or a child who experiences gender dysphoria? That is, someone who struggles with their inner sense of gender identity that is mismatched. It doesn't fit their biologically sexed body. Or maybe you yourself have struggled with that. A sense that things aren't matching or things aren't right. Or perhaps more broadly, just a sense that there's something, I'm very uncomfortable about my body in some way. How does our take on human flesh impact our understanding of being pro-life in all of its implications? Yes, impacting abortion as we think of it, but so much broader. How we think about war. How we think about poverty. How we think about death and dying. Does our understanding of the human body relate to these so-called political issues? Uh, uh, Here's another one. How might our position on the human body influence our own sexual practices? As we come to know the God who covenants himself with us through Jesus and then comes to live in our actual human bodies by the Holy Spirit. How might those things be influenced? Because they are. All of that and more directly relates to how we understand the human body. Here's how we're going to get into it today. First, we're going to explore two key Bible passages, both of which you've heard during the uh, service. And then we'll try to apply this to a few areas of challenge and, and we'll wrap it up. First, Genesis. Now, we've been exploring out of Genesis 1 in the last couple of weeks. And from the Genesis get-go, we're told that human images of God were created male and female. In fact, that's about all we're told about them. We're also told about what God they're created for, but that's really the only description big time that we're given. And it's important because what's said here is that it's not just the male, can we all say thank God for that, or all just the female who image God. No, both image God. In fact, in their relationality, they image God. And by emphasizing the male-female body, Genesis 1 actually points us to the fact already, just in, in kind of you know, rosebud form, that it's as embodied persons that people image God. And then echoing over that whole Genesis 1 story of creation is God's pronouncement that everything he's created, and certainly including the pinnacle of his creation, is good, 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 right? Very good, God says. Well, when we turn over the page to Genesis chapter 2, the camera, as it were, zooms in close, and now the human being is in full frame. And what do we see? We see the human being is a living soul. That it's as a whole person we are created in the image of God. Thank you, Ken, because this body was getting parched. It's as whole people 
that we are created to image God. So we've already heard Genesis 2, the larger context read to us. I just want to pick up a few key verses out of it today. So God creates a, a basic world that's still largely unformed. And then he bends down to form something entirely new. Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed the man or the Adam from the dust of the ground, the Adama. And in English, we can miss this, um, but there's a, a Hebrew wordplay here, and I tried to draw it out, that God formed the Adam from the Adama. And we can hear it really clearly. Or you can say it this way, God made an earthling from the earth. It works. Actually, the play on words uh, echoes in English through the Latin. That is, you're human from the humus. Humus being the word for soil, and those are connected. And in this, just like in Hebrew and in Latin and now in English, we're told something essential, that God forms humans from the earth, from the ground, from the dust. That's why we say at funerals often, from dust we came to dust we shall return. That we're part of this creation. Our bodies in this earth are intimately connected. And having formed the human from the humus, now reading on, it says, he, the Lord God, breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in the Eden in, Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. Now we really got something, right? God breathes life into the Adam, or maybe more specifically, God breathes the Adam to life. This man becomes a living person, or in Hebrew, a nephesh, which is probably better translated, a living soul. Humans are inspired by God in the fullest sense of that word. And the result is a living soul. Now, under the influence of Greek philosophy, which we've all been influenced by, whether you know Plato or not, human beings were at best seen as a body that contained a soul. Plato, in fact, thought there was an eternal warehouse of souls somewhere. And that, I don't know, the gods or whatever, the demiurge, whatever, would sort of pluck a soul and then plant it in a body. You think maybe Pixar was inspired by that in one of their latest animation movies? Uh, 100%. Uh, And that influence was very pervasive, so much so that there were Christians who would read Genesis 2 as it stands, but they would hear... God making a body and then putting a soul into it. That's what they would hear from this story. So if, answer, if you answer the question, what is a human being? They would say, well, a body plus a soul equals a human being. And that body plus soul business is not a neutral position. In that scenario, the body is always denigrated. It's always understood as less than. Uh, often it's understood as something that's tainted by evil, something wrong, something we must control, or ultimately get rid of. If not, at least something irrelevant, some kind of container we can use or abuse for higher purposes, however we like. And so people either became monks or they became maniacs. And you see that in Greek philosophy, you see that through a life uh, in lots of different ways. Uh, there were also sort of Christian variations on this bad idea. One of them being the idea that hope Human hope is located in some future disembodied state where we're all going to fly away and float on clouds playing harps. Don't even know how to play a harp. Souls were seen as sort of an immortal, uh, immortal spark that was contained within a dispensable 
body. But that's not what Genesis says. That's not what the scripture teaches. Here, God forms the man out of the ground and life into him and the man becomes a living soul. This is a human being, not body plus soul, but earth plus breath. This is a grounded being, a fully embodied person who's not divided up into various bits, you know, well, let's put something in for a while, but we'll get rid of that as soon as we can. Let's put another bit in here. Yeah, we'll keep that. Let, you know, kind of mix it up, put it in a blender. That's a human. No, this is an integrated whole being created in the image of God. So here's a quick take, friends. You do not have a soul. You are a soul. That's what scripture teaches. You do not have a soul. Try to shout that at a colleague someday. <laughs> but make sure to fit in the rest. You are a soul. This is powerfully relevant stuff. And it helps us begin to grapple with all the ways we get the body wrong. And therefore, we get human identity wrong. Because if you mess up the body, you do mess up the soul. From start to finish, Jewish and Christian teaching is highly affirming of the body. In fact, you'll find no teaching anywhere that is more body affirming than what you'll find within the traditional biblical teaching of the historic Christian church. I dare you to try. Christian faith is very pro-body, even if there have been individual Christians who forget their story, wander off into various ditches and need to be pulled back to center by their own story their own scripture. Christianity has affirmed all along the centrality and the value, the preciousness of the human body. Well, the rest of Genesis 2 explores how this Adam is now a living soul, but it's also a lonely soul. And he needs a soul partner in the fullest sense of that. And so God solves the problem by splitting the atom. Oh, I had to. And creating a proper opposite of the man in the creation of the woman. And that links us directly back to Genesis 1, where the two become one flesh. And there's these two embodied persons who image God in the united oneness. There's lots of stuff there, amazing stuff in Genesis 2. All we're drawing out this morning as we move on is that human beings are embodied persons. The human body is essential to the human identity. And the words of God in Genesis is a good thing, friends. Good, 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 good. Very good. Let's go to our second passage, 1 Corinthians 6, which Joanne read for us just before I came up. Well, the church in the ancient city of Corinth, Corinth, which was a notably crazy town, was an awful mess. And much of the mess, much of the problems going on in that church was rooted in their misunderstanding and disregard of the human body. And so the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, takes up pen and writes a letter to take the biblical truth about human bodies, not only revealed through Scripture, but revealed through Jesus Christ and his resurrection, and applies it to their situation. When you read the whole letter, you see really quickly that everything that's gone wrong is going, everything that could go wrong is going wrong. Uh, it, you see, not only is it touching on their sexual ethics, big surprise, but it's also touching on their treatment of the poor. Their bad body views are touching on their misunderstanding of communion, um, their misunderstanding of spiritual gifts, um, their theology of the church, and of course, their belief or non-belief in the resurrection of the dead. So let's walk through this passage briefly. We're going to start with the second half of verse 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be deceived. 
neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Let's pause there. Paul reminds these Christians who they used to be, but aren't anymore. And so much of the New Testament ethic can be summed up in the phrase, you ain't that no more. Try it with me. You ain't that no more. That's so much of what Paul's doing all over the place and the whole of the New Testament. Paul's reminding them here and does it elsewhere that there's a fundamental change that's taken place in their lives. And now they've been washed and sanctified and justified in the name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And he's trying to say, therefore, you ain't that no more, so don't live that way. Now Paul goes on to pull quotes from these Christians that they've been using to cover up their bad or excuse their bad bodily behavior. So I have the right to do anything is a quote. You say, Paul says, but, but, but not everything's beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach, stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. See the negative view of the body popping up there? And do what you want. I mean, God's going to fry it all up anyway. What difference does it make? But Paul, rooted as he is in the Jewish story and the resurrection good news of Jesus, he knows better. He moves on to say, and I quote, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. You know, we'll come back to that, but I want you to anchor that truth in your mind because that is powerful stuff. The body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Whoa. Then Jesus links that to Jesus' resurrection. He keeps going. He says, by his power, God raised the Lord. He's talking about Jesus. The Lord from the dead. And he will raise us also. Anchor that that truth in there too. The resurrection of the body, Jesus' body and our body directly impacts Christian ethics, how we live, including our sexual practices. Resurrection in the future relates directly to how we live now as embodied people. Rather than thinking that the coming resurrection makes our current bodies irrelevant, in the case of the Corinthians, they didn't even believe in the coming resurrection. They were so off. But even broadly speaking, Christians say, well, the coming resurrection somehow means what I do now doesn't matter. Paul actually says, no, 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 no. That highlights just how super important the body is. I mean, if the body isn't important, why would God bother resurrecting it? Think about that. Then Paul goes on, verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute, I'll come back to that to explain it, is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. He's quoting right from Genesis 2 there. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. See what's happening here? It's as embodied people that we are members of Christ. That is, we are united with Christ in his death, his life, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his future glory. And our unity with Christ, which is a fact of our faith, 
is, is, is a bodily thing. The Holy Spirit has united us with him bodily and he's restoring us to Christ bodily and he will raise us bodily. Through sexual practice, this is how we are designed. This is how God made us. We are united with another person. And that act of sexual union is profoundly bodily, but soul e That's not a word. It's a full human experience where we're united. This act of union. And it was designed only to be, to be practiced within the specific covenant of holy marriage. Now, the cultural context here is really important. Because I'm sure none of you have been recently tempted to sleep with what is effectively a shrine prostitute. And in Corinth, though, there's temples everywhere. And for many of these temples, that was part of the way of participating in the worship of this particular temple was to sleep with a prostitute. You know men made that one up. And then... Sorry, that, was, I, that wasn't in my notes. Um, <clears throat> there's a, a context here where people are thinking, well, the body doesn't really matter. Well, I can go sleep with a temple prostitute. I, it's fine. I can go to church on Sunday, whatever. It doesn't. And Paul says, no, are you joking me? He cries foul. And how he does that is by highlighting the value of the human body. How in the world can you, who have already become one with Christ bodily, and are going to be raised up with Christ bodily, go and make yourself bodily one through sex with, in this case, a prostitute, but you can extend that beyond with you know, anyone you want. You're joining something that's not supposed to be joined. There's a real active union here, and it's a contradiction to who you are and who God is. So Paul brings it all home. Because your body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body, because God's going to resurrect your body like he resurrected Jesus' body, because you've already been united with Christ as a body, this is really important to see. We often think, well, we're united with him spiritually, but Paul's actually arguing very specifically that this unification with Christ in the spirit is a bodily unification. Because of all this, Paul says, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. And sexual immorality is really any activity, biblically speaking, it's any activity that is outside of God's covenantal design for sexual practice. One man, one woman in a marriage. All other sins a person commits outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body because there's this union that's happening. And that sin, that bringing that together, what shouldn't be brought together, is an act of sin against yourself. And then he says, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? And then the punchline, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Well, now we need to add something to the flip chart here because it's not as simple just to say good and bad. What Paul has said is, Okay, so we're going to reject the idea that the body is bad, but we're going to say the body, based on Scripture, is good. But, but we need to flesh that out a bit more because what Paul is trying to highlight here is the body, human body is not just good. It's also God's, as in possessed by God, as in owned by God, as in you were bought with a price. You're not your own. How does this begin to influence the way we understand uh, use, um, view, treat the human body. Just throw out some responses. How might that affect the way you treat your body or the way you think about your body? Respect. 
Yourself and others, yep. Uh, Sacred, yeah. What else? Yeah, caring, active worship. I'm just going to put that. Accountability. Yes, accountability. How you treat your body and others' bodies, you're accountable for that. Or responsibility, you might also. Somebody said something over here? A temple. Man, that's such a powerful truth, hey? Man, I just. I think we just spent a lot of time meditating on that. I would just blow our, blow our minds. Say it again, Owen. Okay. What's coming in? What's coming in? We're going to exercise discernment on what we're bringing in. Yeah. Grateful. Grateful. Wrong side of the pen. Yes. Empathy for others. Yeah, and we're going to touch, we're probably going to move towards some of that too. Uh, yeah. So you can see and, and begin to think, wow, when I take seriously the teaching here, but broadly through scripture, that my body is, is God's body, that is made for the Lord. That has incredible ramifications on how I think about my body. My body was made for the Lord. And the Lord was made for my body? You know, my body is not my own. My body was bought with a price. And the response, of course, is I want to honor God with my body. But is that all we have to say about the human body? Not quite. All of this is true. But what do we do with the fact that our good bodies, which are God's, owned by God, are also, well, not quite all they could be. Can we agree with that? That there is a real sense in which we have broken bodies. Who here has experienced brokenness in their body? Yeah. Some of you significantly have experienced it. And our embodied experiences kind of run a spectrum from very bad. It's like our bodies have betrayed us every step of the way, right through to people who, due to whatever, genetics, maybe some choices, um, they're pretty healthy. Things are pretty good. But all of us, even those healthiest and most robust, you're all going to die. Every last one of you. What a downer, hey? Eh? Just you thought when you were taking care of things so well. TikTok. <laughs> Our body is subject to death. But all that we've learned from the scripture about being human helps us respond to this difficult. Yes, our bodies are broken, but they're still good. And they're still gods. All of that is true. And so what it means is that we are now called to be faithful within our frailty. We live in a sin-ravaged world. 
And that sin-ravaged world affects us. We're part of it. We experience the brokenness within our own bodies. And part of the power of this truth, I mean, part of what's mind-blowing, what Paul's saying is, you realize the Holy Spirit took up residence in your body. The one that's the way it is. Your broken yet good body. And Jesus died in a body that was broken for us. To say that something's broken is not to say that it's bad. Though that temptation's always there, isn't it? To say that it's broken is to acknowledge that it was created for good, but we've got a complication. Human sin and rebellion has come in, and and there's an experience. The human experience has been tainted and twisted, and it affects all of who God created us to be, so that we are less than we were designed to be. That's why we need salvation. That's why we need Jesus. But in faith, we can affirm that our bodies are good, that God created them good, and they were even made for him. This doesn't deny sin and brokenness, but it gives us hope that in the midst of brokenness, God loves us and he's got a restoration plan in place that he's come to live inside our broken bodies and he's working out that resurrection plan even now because Jesus came to save our whole body selves. We're not looking forward to a day when we're all going to fly away like winged spirits from a flesh cage. We are fixed in hope upon the day when we'll be raised in new creation bodies that are fully good, fully restored, just like Jesus. And all that means that we can be faithful within our frailty because the Holy Spirit lives in us now as we are so that we might be who we were created to be, yes, now, but ultimately in the future. So summarizing body's good, the body's God's, the body's broken, but the body is being restored and will soon be resurrected. Every body matters. Well, let's apply this to some personal struggles, okay? This is where um, I, wanna, I want us to think through how this affects us in different ways. Let's start with body hatred. There are some who struggle with a profound hatred for their own body. It seems wrong in some way. It seems to have failed them in some way. Perhaps it's genetically weak. Perhaps it tends toward obesity. Perhaps it constantly breaks down. Well, there's just things that are wrong with it. And, and, and grappling with this teaching, with this understanding that God looks at us and he doesn't look at us and go, oh, what a wreck. He says, no, that's my home. And I want to live there. And the way that that can begin to change and influence and affect the way we see our own bodies. Let's keep going. There are those of us who have struggled with addiction in such a profound way. It feels like your body is your enemy. It does and wants things you don't want but can't seem to control. It does things that you don't like. It craves things that you know are destructive, but it seems like you just keep going back to it. And you're in this constant war, it feels like, with yourself. Knowing that you were created good and that you are owned by God and the Holy Spirit of God has taken up residence in you and promises full restoration. My friends, that is the kind of hope you need That is the kind of truth that can help. 
And I'm not saying snap, snap, it all becomes better. But I'm saying that's the kind of truth we can hold on to as we grapple with the struggle, with the brokenness. Gender identity. You may struggle with your body because it just seems wrong to how you feel inside. Your inner sense of identity just doesn't match the sex of your body. And that's a real thing. And you may struggle with that. You may have friends and family that struggle with that. Where there's a grappling, where it just feels like I am at odds with myself. This teaching around the goodness of the human body is especially important in that conversation around gender identity. Where we aren't going to say our bodies should be just dispensed with or tossed aside. But rather, we need to think, how are we as whole persons to live in the midst of struggle, faithful within frailty, but live according to the body God gave us? How about sickness or disability or chronic illness? I know there are many of you who struggle with daily um, debilitations, where it feels like, man, you got a bum deal. You know, could I just trade up, please? Because nothing seems to be working, or your body broke, or there's just a perpetual illness that comes along. And so every day is kind of a disappointment with your body. And so you hear the teaching that your body's good, and you think, yeah, right. You do not know the car I'm driving. This is essential teaching. This is essential truth. And we'll come to some of the practical ways, but just to know this applies directly to you in your struggle. To be able to hear the teaching that your body is good and is God's, that though broken, there is hope. So how can we respond? The first, I want to talk about how we might respond in practical care for other people. Okay? And then I'll move to uh, ourselves. How do we respond practically to other people? This may be someone uh, who, due to gender identity, would like to change their body. This may be someone who is self-harming themselves. It's quite a high percentage. Uh, This might be someone who's struggling with chronic illness. The first thing that we want to be able to do is see and pray for and affirm the people that we're in relationship with that they are created in the image of God and that they're loved, that they're precious, they're important and worthy of love and dignity and respect and kindness and compassion. We do that with what we say, but we do that with our presence, don't we? By showing up, by loving, by caring for them, but by saying and speaking the beautiful truth that their, their bodies are good and that God loves them and they're creating the image of God. And wow, isn't it amazing to know that God wants to live inside of you, to affirm the truth of who they really are as images of God, is essential. It's also very important in that context that we consciously listen. Listen well and serve well. Sometimes we get a bit worried or a bit defensive or a bit concerned. We need to slow ourselves down and be consciously present to people who are struggling in whatever particular way. I mean, I'm particularly connected to people who've struggled with chronic illness. And the last thing they need is you being one of Job's friends who shows up and explains all the reason why you're sick and what you should do better. No, please don't. Um, Being present and listening to their story and honoring their story. Listen to them well. In that context, you will, I believe, have opportunities, depending on where that person's at, to compassionately affirm the goodness of their body. 
the goodness of their selves. The fact that their body really, really matters. Matters to God. Matters to you. And this is not something to to do, of course not, in a condemning or a harsh way. This is not about fighting with an ideology when you're meeting with a person, okay? This is really, really important. This is about affirming the truth that their bodies are good. That though they experience some sort of tearing or some sort of mismatch or some sort of struggle, there's an affirmation that God has made you in his image as a whole person. That you don't need to think about how you dispense or get rid of or, or even change But rather, God wants to give you the grace to live into that beauty, into that goodness. Yes, there may be opportunities in the right kind of relationship to compassionately confront false and dehumanizing ideas. There's lots of them. In particularly, it's particularly prevalent online where people can find small groups that will will encourage disordered eating in a, in a young woman's life or encourage self-harm or encourage a person to actively think about removing parts of their body so they match themselves more. There are groups online that really will provide a, an encouraging space that can be very, very dehumanizing. And so to compassionately confront those false and dehumanizing ideas with the truth that God loves them, that their bodies are good, ultimately their bodies are God's. But you need to be in the right relationship to do that. Do that in love. Do that listening. Do that caring and praying for the Holy Spirit to guide you. And then, and this is very important, to stay connected and stay in relationship. Even if there's rejection, even if choices are made that are anti-body, even if choices are made that are filled or perpetuate that hate and that hurt, that you reveal God's grace by staying present, staying connected, and loving them no matter what. Because their body matters no matter what. I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to enter into the lives of those who experience profound brokenness to bring hope and freedom and to do that through love and care. Well, the second is practical response to our own body's brokenness. I want to offer, I think, some guidance that's based on uh, my experience based on the experience of others of how we might, those of us who experience maybe um, some particular brokenness in our bodies, and I'll let you define what that is for you, how we might respond. The first one is, is to practice gratitude for our bodies. Now, I recognize that this can be very hard because we can look at ourselves in the mirror and think, there's nothing I'm grateful for, right? We can be so filled with self-loathing, so filled with self-hatred, uh, we can look at our bodies and think this is an underperforming, faulty body. I just don't, I just don't even want it anymore. To practice a gratitude for your body. Starting with what you know is true and you're glad for. You're glad that my, you know, whatever bodily functions working, working, thank God for that. Right? Thank God for those, those systems that work automatically without your conscious effort at least for those of you who have ones that do, because I know some of you, that's even a problem. But look at your body and think, well, what can I be thankful for? There's a lot I'm upset about. What can I be thankful for? And how can I express that gratitude to God? I could make even literally start to make a list of all the things I'm grateful for my body for. I could mix that in with the truth we read from Scripture and some of the things we've already identified. 
but to practice gratitude and find things that you're grateful for your body, particularly when you've struggled to be grateful for it. The second thing is in prayer to fix your full hope on the resurrection of the body. Make sure that there's a vision in your mind for those of you who are followers of Jesus that whatever brokenness you're experiencing now, there's a coming, there is coming a day when your body will be whole again. That you were not created to live in that brokenness forever. And, I, and this window of time we call life here is short, but eternity is long. And we're going to live a long time in a great body. Amen? Amen. And so there, there's times, especially when we're in that brokenness, we just got to fix our hope on that. We're going to do our best to care for our bodies now. We're going to do our best to get the best medical advice. We're going to do our best. But the reality is there's things that just aren't going to get fixed now. But we can fix our hope on the resurrection of Jesus. Fix our hope on our resurrection, knowing that there is coming a day when we will be fully restored. Number three, we can seek the Lord's help to be faithful in our frailty. To be faithful in our frailty. To be able to acknowledge this is the situation I'm in. This is the way my body is and is not. Lord Jesus, I need your help to be faithful within that frailty. I need your help to steward well what I have. I want to be more um, responsible, uh, more worshipful in the way that I care for this temple of yours, the one you bought with a price. And he paid a lot for you. You're expensive. <laughs> uh, I want to I steward that well. And so how, how can I be faithful within the frailty? Not using the frailty as an excuse for unfaithfulness, but saying it's within this frailty I want to be faithful. What does that look like for you? And Lord, I need your help. You know, it, 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 it reminded me of that time. It's just this little somewhat cryptic experience that Paul relates. Where he talks about he had a thorn in the flesh. Remember that? Scholars all like to argue what that meant, what that meant. But hey, let's go with it for now. It was something physical, almost certain. And Paul prayed, that God would fix it, like we have all prayed, right? That God would fix stuff, particularly fix stuff in my body that's broken. And God didn't fix it. And Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul, through that, learned that we can be faithful within frailty. In some way, we are all being faithful within frailty, And in those specific ways where we feel like our body has failed us, where it's just not working, can you you imagine Jesus saying to you what he said to Paul? Not only is my grace made sufficient for you, but my power is going to be revealed through your weakness. Which leads us to the fourth point, which is to be open to the ways the Holy Spirit wants to actually minister through your weakness through your brokenness, through your frailty to others. I know for a fact that if you've experienced chronic illness or gender dysphoria, or you've experienced something that has ripped or changed or broken, that through that experience, you can be a conduit of hope and comfort and grace to others, particularly those who have struggled in those same ways, but even more broadly speaking, to people who are just struggling with life. Your faithfulness within your frailty and your experience of God's power in the midst of that is an incredible ministry to others that God has uniquely gifted you for. And so to be open, 
one of the ways you'll be faithful, faithful in that frailty is being open to minister to others through your experience of weakness. And there are people who need to hear the hope that you have in the midst of your frailty. Well, let's finish with the most body-affirming news that there is. Here it is. It's the most body-affirming thing we could possibly say. The Son of God became a human being. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. There is nothing that affirms the body more than that. God became an earthling. Just think about that. God became a living soul like you and me. And now Jesus Christ, our Lord, he ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father as a human being. Fully God, fully man. A human being in all of his humanity has been brought directly into the triune life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And can we fathom, just for a moment, the incredible relevance of that truth? That the human body is so significant, so wonderful, so central to who God has created us to be, that he not only became one with us, but he brought a human body into his divine life and through him all the rest of us too, and sent his Holy Spirit to live in all human beings, all human bodies who are willing to entrust themselves to him. Yes, due to sin, this body's going to die. But that's not the end of its story. It's going to get resurrected too. Resurrected by Jesus, the firstborn from the dead. He accomplished that resurrection for us. He was faithful in our frailty for us. He died broken in a body for us and he rose victorious in a new one for us. And now in this body, in this life, though broken, still good and still God's, we can fully trust the faithfulness of Jesus to live out within our own frailty so that we can live into the hope of the resurrection. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, this is good news that we all need to hear. And I know we all sense that there are ways in which this good news can be missed, even twisted and lost. I'm very conscious of that today. And I just want to pray that we would not only hear and receive your good news, but live into it and share it. That it would ripple out and set captives free. That it would build us up and enable us to live faithful within our frailty like you were faithful for us. So Jesus, by your spirit, who lives in us, help us honor, honor you with our bodies knowing that we've been bought with a price and that we are yours. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. 
For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.